This is the Fatherhood Unlocked podcast, and my name is Dan Doty. I'm a father of three, an outdoorsman, and a meditator, and supporting dads to be the best version of themselves is my highest calling. Fatherhood is the biggest rite of passage in a man's life. It's our biggest opportunity to grow up, to wake up, and to learn who we actually are. I believe that a father's love is the biggest missing vitamin on the planet. This podcast is intended to be a lightning rod to call men to action, to create community, and to set a new tone and standard for what fatherhood means. Welcome to Fatherhood Unlocked. One of the elements of being a dad that's really real for me is that I don't have a lot of extra time. Recently, I've been coming across an insane amount of books, talks, podcasts, all kinds of stuff to ingest, to listen to, and to read, to pay attention to. And I don't have room for all of it. And I've even started listening to books at 1.5 speed, which is really against my value set. And I really hate it, but I've been doing it because I have to. But amongst all of that content and potential stuff that I'm taking in, there is literally nothing that lights me up. Nothing that I'm more captivated by than the podcast that's hosted by our guest today, Josh Shry. The Emerald is a show I, I must have had several friends send me episodes, you know, years back now. And I've been listening for a long time. It's hard to describe what the Emerald is. It is a, I guess, honestly, if if I were to sort of show an alien civilization what a podcast was or should be or could be from the planet Earth, you know, on Tuesday, September 26th on 2023, I would send them the following episode. I would send them the episode of the Emerald called So You Want to Be a Sorcerer in the Age of Mythic Powers. And this, you know, as I tell you this, this is somewhat what I would love to show alien civilizations uh, to, to represent an art form of the podcast. But, but really, what I would be doing with show would be to show this alien civilization a, a very, a, a lens on where the world is today in a historical civilizational sense that is closer to what seems to be true through my lens than anything else that I've come across. This, there's a lot, there's a lot of episodes that I really highly recommend. I mean, I just said very much obviously recommending this podcast, the Emerald, this episode in specific. So you want to be a sorcerer in the age of mythic powers is about AI And the topic that I believe is probably on the front of everybody's mind, and if it isn't, it will be soon and probably will be for a long time to come. And not only is it about AI, it's about the culture surrounding the creation and demonstration of this new technology. And I don't want to give it away, but there is a thesis in here very much about the lack of fatherhood, the lack of initiation for men, actually really boys, the lack of initiation for boys, the search 
for fathers, the fatherlessness of our culture and what that may mean and what it, what it might be doing and how it might be representing or manifesting in the current situation of technology and all of the very real pitfalls that might be coming here, that are coming. I am such a fanboy. I'm so excited to have Josh on the sh- on the show. And there's some stuff in here that, I mean, the, the whole episode lights me up. Um, and to learn that this work of art, this podcast of his, has one thing he shares, uh, which I'll preempt here a little bit, is that uh, this show came to life as he became a father, literally. And that he holds it as something a part of his life and not separate from his fatherhood journey. And uh, that is so wildly resonant to me in my life and how I have experienced this, this adventure, this adventure of fatherhood and uh, what it's meant and what it's felt like. So much I could say. I won't say much more. I, I really, really am grateful to Josh. Glad he was here. And super excited to share this conversation. So check it out, the Emerald Podcast. And we will get to that conversation with Josh in just a minute. But first, I want to share what is possible, what's going on here at Fatherhood Unlocked. And there's this really lovely thing happening where uh, the whole Fatherhood Unlocked sort of spectrum has solidified and concretized and just sort of settled down a little bit in we now have an ongoing uh, open group called Father's Fire for any dad out there, anyone who is going through the process of fatherhood and is looking for a space and a community of peers that are there both to wrestle with the deep end of fatherhood and also wrestle with the minutia all at the same time. There is no one way here. There is no guru. There is no parenting expert. I'm certainly not that. But what I can do and I have done is brought to, brought together a very intentional structure and community for dads to come together and collectively learn, grow, mature, support each other, all in the, uh, all in the name of, of goodness for our family, for our kids, and for everything else out there. Super proud. Super excited where things are. Um you can find all this uh, at dandody.com and look under the fatherhood tab. You'll see all this stuff. And I also just want to briefly nod to and honor the guys in the first ever fatherhood unlocked facilitator training. We got 20 guys from around the globe uh, that are deeply in deeply immersed. And we are uh, putting together a team of uh, dads who are really deeply caring, willing to lean in, stepping up to serve not only themselves, but each other, but the communities at large. I'm recognizing I'm in that place where, you know, some of my previous dreams are now coming to fruition. It's a lovely place to be. And in the context of this conversation that I had here with Josh, uh, just seems, seems right, seems appropriate. So thanks for listening. And here is the conversation with Josh Shry. Josh, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, and uh, I don't know, t- tell us tell us where in the world we find you today. 
Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to to be here and um, to be diving into a topic that I don't always get to talk about in podcast interviews. And I'm here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Beautiful. Um, all right, there's so many uh, avenues that I'm primed and really excited to to explore with you. But let's start simple. I'd love to hear uh, about the basics, like the snapshot of the logistical basics of you as a father. Uh, as much as you want, tell us about your kids. Tell us, tell us, uh, maybe lead into, uh, I guess, shooting from the hip, what, what fatherhood has done or undone <laughs> to you or in you so far. Well, that's really the only question you need to ask for the next <laughs> hour and a half. <laughs> we could, we could spiral off of that for the entire conversation. Um, I have two kids, two boys. One is about to be four and a half and the other one is two and a half. They're 21 months apart. And so we are in a concentrated zone of beautiful, shining chaos at the moment. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and, and I came to the, the fatherhood game fairly late in one way of looking at it and just at the right time and another way of looking at it. And, uh, so, um, it's been to put it succinctly and we can go into this in a lot more detail, but it's been everything. It's been yeah. everything. It's been everything I imagined. And like what I imagined was in no way a preparation for, what it actually is and the, the magnitude of it. Um, and I don't just mean like the material magnitude of having to shift one's life around and that kind of thing, the spiritual magnitude of it, the magnitude of like all of a sudden, I mean, first of all, and just seeing the like profound, um, majesty through which nature operates and this like unbelievable thing that is birth and um and beings coming into material existence and the opportunity to practice all of those things if you know you're any kind of practitioner of anything like it, it is absolutely unequivocally where the rubber meets the road, as they say. Uh, so the opportunity to, to do that, the feelings that have arisen, feelings that I never knew I was capable of, never knew I had before, opportunities to show up again and again and again and again, like before I thought I was showing up in a certain way for life, maybe. And after and since I've gotten to see like how much more I need to show up and, and uh, like maybe how I wasn't showing up as much as I thought I was showing up before and all of it, all of it. It's been just the most, beautiful and powerful and wonderful and infuriating and frustrating and magnificent journey I could have imagined. So holding all that, holding the paradox of it, holding the sweetness of it, holding the um, 
the joy of it, the fear of it, all of it. Um, and uh, just doing my best to navigate my way through it. Yeah. Well, well said. I'm picking it up. I'm picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> the, the uh, oh, just uh, I'm curious about the well, a few things, the unfelt feelings or, you know, or the feelings that were previously unexperienced or uh, I'll speak for myself for a second. I, you know, I sort of had the, I think it's fortune to spend a good chunk of my younger adult life in practice. So whether it was Vajrayana, my lineage, my Vajrayana practice or men's work, or I had the fortune to spend an, a huge amount of time out in nature as a wilderness therapy guide and really, you know, thought I'd put some time in to, to living. And, and now I look back on it as uh blinding arrogance. It's just, just like, you know, on my part of, you know, uh, and I don't know where I'm going with, with this exactly other than um, the, yeah, it's hard to put words and, and I admire your, uh, capacity to put words to things in, in such a intricately precise way from all of my, uh, time spent listening to your show. Mm. Um, so thank you for putting the words to that. And I, I was wondering if you could get like a little bit deeper on some of the unfelt feelings or unexperienced moments, just to share a little bit. What, what has that been? Yeah. Um, so, you know, similar background in a way to what you're talking about, good amount of time in my life, um, in the world of the roving, wandering artist, good amount of time in the world of the solo practitioner. Um, you know, one of the things I talked about this recently at a immersion I was at, one of the things, um, you know, <laughs> there's a reason in the monastic traditions, right? They give up everything and like, uh, like give up all possessions, all commitments <laughs> to, to, uh, material family, because it makes it a whole lot easier to feel, uh, I think comfortable in one's level of spiritual achievement and, um, you know, I thought that I was in a certain place in my relationship with things like death, for example. Yeah. Uh, I thought that I was in a certain place in my practice in terms of my relationship with, you know, th the world and, um, and fear and these types of things. Uh, I'm just going straight into it here because mm -hmm. uh, uh, I feel like this is the forum in which we can do that. Um, you know, like before when you're kind of a wandering or when I was kind of a wandering, roving spiritual seeker, uh, you know, I could die, I could disappear, like no real consequence. Right. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with, uh, um, the transitory nature of existence. I'm fine with all this stuff. And it's a lot easier to be fine with it when you're solo and there are, like deep rooted biological bonds that stir feelings that I didn't even know were there, that I didn't even know were possible. 
like that the like fierce protector father that now will do anything 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 to see them you know safe and uh um that's not something that i was familiar with as like a, a solo spiritual seeker and and it's interesting because like you know i all throughout my life i met many examples because i practiced in the tibetan buddhist path for quite a long time too and and other paths and i was raised in the zen buddhist community and practiced um you know practiced in traditions that were non-monastic and monastic but all my life i've encountered people who i kind of considered to be examples of uh attainment and reaching a certain level of equanimity and you know there have been moments since parenting when i'm just like well what do they know <laughs> yeah. you know like yeah. how would the uh enlightened <laughs> llama pass the both diapers need to be changed at once test you know what i'm talking about yeah. like uh and, and just feelings of like you know again the the kind of transitory nature of existence and feeling absolutely fine with that like after having kids, it's, it's different. It's like, no, I, the, you know, Buddhism tends to focus on the emptiness side of the emptiness is form and form is emptiness equation, right? Mm -hmm. Tends to focus on the capacity to let a lot of things go and to suddenly be in a situation where it's like, no, I have to build, I have to hold, I have to keep, I have to maintain right these are energetics that aren't always present in the modern spiritual seekers repertoire because sure i can just let it go i can just let it go i can just let it go and what do you do when you can't just let it go yeah. you know what do you do when you um you know are attached when you are bound when you are you know like bound like materially physically somatically on levels that you never even knew were possible before. Like when you feel an emotional bond to beings on a, on a level that just, you know, you can't just let it go. You can't just say, Oh, you know, this too is nothing. This too shall pass. Um, you know, maybe ultimately you can find some equanimity within that, but like the visceral reality of parenthood, or at least I think like anyone who's trying to, show up in any kind of real way is like i'm in it you know yeah. i'm in it i remember like the first time we took him the older one to a, a doctor's appointment and like he got a shot you know and uh and just watching the look of pain on his face yeah. and, and i just had this sudden feeling of like oh like i'm in this for the long haul like i'm in like like all the pains and all the joys and all of it, like I'm bound, I'm attached. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm fully in it, you know? And so like I, on the, on the side of the equation of like the, um, you know, the like reaffirmation of, uh, somatic reality of material reality of life of the want for life of the want for life to actually be a certain way because in in some spiritual traditions it's like you kind of are taught to just kind of let it go and no matter what happens it's going to be fine and and you know and i appreciate that um but it's like having to really really deeply 
dive into the form side of the cycle, right? Yeah. <laughs> into yeah. the form side of the cycle. So it's like in the Indian traditions, you'd call it like Shakti. It's like there, mm-hmm. it's the life cycle, the blood cycle, the wheel of life and death. Um, and to be in it, um, and emotionally feel its emotions and be pulled by its currents has been the most like beautiful, powerful teaching I can imagine really. And then, you know, so there are fears that I never knew that I had before. There are, um, longings I never knew that I had before. There are joys and wonders that I certainly never knew possible. I mean, I had an idea of, oh, when you look into your son's eyes or, oh, when they start to speak with words, you know, I had an idea of what that would be like. Um, But the joys and wonders are like daily. I mean, I just took them to the zoo yesterday. (laughs) And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of zoos, but it's like, uh, you know, uh, we can we can spend a whole chunk of time talking about compromises right like oh yeah yeah yeah, like i'm gonna have this perfect kind of wilderness like captain fantastic uh (laughs) way of raising the kids and then it's like no they want to go to the zoo i'm gonna take them to the zoo you know like you know we went to the zoo yesterday and and um just to see like to see the wonder in their eyes and to see my older one is speaking a lot and just the thoughts that he's having and the way he's processing all the different animals he's encountering and everything. It's like, it's phenomenal, you know? So there are feelings on that side that I never knew that I would have before too. Yeah. Fears. I never knew that I would have wonders. I never knew that I would have all of it. Really. I, I think one of the reasons that I'm so, you know, stuck with this or sticking with, with this is, is because of the, the extremities on really any direction, right? The, the, the hardships and the joys, they, they really, they really are in my lived experience, quite, uh, full, <laughs> you know, they're full, pretty full. Um, yeah. And, and like happen within seconds, <laughs> like right, exactly. Or simultaneously, the even. most <laughs> aggravating, frustrating of situations. And yeah. then like, a little glance and a little phrase comes out of, you know, one of their mouths and it's like your whole heart is like melted open. And, right. you know, and that's, you know, this, that's what this life is for, right? Like we are to be embodied feeling beings in this universe, regardless of whether we feel, okay, ultimately like things must pass and there's, you know, uh, death coming and everything like that. Like, we are to be fully embodied. We are to feel it all. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm going to have, I just, there's like three cliffs I want to jump off, but I think for the, for the viewer's sake, I'm going to ask a few curious questions by, um, biographical just for a minute. And so I, I am, you know, a, a fanboy nerding out in this moment. I've been listening to the Emerald for, Man, quite a while. I would have to actually look at it, think, think about it. Um, but I am, I would love to hear your off the cuff rendition of how you describe that show. And then also, and we don't have to take too much time for this, but I, I am also very personally curious. I mean, it sounds like you've had, you have a, a lifetime of, um, 
spiritual community and, and practice and it, I assume learning in many directions. But I, I guess just to express my fandom for a second, like there's there's a really wildly beautiful um, expression that that I've been listening to you give to to some of these some of life's deepest and largest and most mysterious elements, right? So I guess just tell us, like to tell me what a little more of the origin story of the show and and some of the, I don't know, the lived experience that, that brought it to life. Yeah. You know, I guess the short version of the story is that I grew up immersed in music and storytelling and then went on a multi-year year detour into the sometimes frustrating world of the written word and mm. realized in the process that really that the way I wrote was the way I spoke. And mm. there was a reason why I started out in storytelling and music. Um, and so the Emeralds really came about personally as like a reclamation of that storyteller, bard, musician. Um, also feeling and, you know, seeing as someone who'd studied mythic traditions for the majority of my life in practice, not in theory, but in practice, right? That's a mm -hmm. key difference. Mm -hmm. Seeing that the way that um, the mythic and the animate were being talked about and perceived in the Western world were an extension of like detached analytical scholarship yeah. that wasn't getting at the heart of the felt somatic experience of what it is to be yeah. alive and um, the felt somatic experience of what story unlocks in us and the felt somatic experience of, um, you know, the animate forces that surround us yeah. and wanting to help in any way that I could reignite a spark that I feel exists in all human beings. Um, and that is really desperately needed right now. Um, as we approach, you know, the world increasingly is like a dead backdrop, you know, an anthropocentric dead backdrop, we need to rekindle this relationship. So you know that and the podcast, not coincidentally was born um, the day after my first son was born the no kidding yeah no wait the day before it was born the day before <laughs> my first son was born. yeah it was born on may 25th and he was born on may 26th and like first episode yeah. aired like first that? Episode aired. i had i had recorded it a couple weeks earlier and my wife and i were in this limbo state of like you know it was yeah. past her due date yeah and uh, before he was born, there was a five-day limbo state there. You might be familiar with that limbo state. Very much. Um, it's beautiful, that limbo state. If you could let go of the like, you know, when's the baby going to come? When's the baby yeah. going to come, right? Yeah. So it was like all was well, um, but we were in this kind of limbo state. And I had recorded these episodes and gotten the first three kind of ready and um, some weeks earlier. And so the gestation period that she went through was kind of the gestation period for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And then I launched the episode <laughs> and then we went out for dinner. Um, and then that night in the middle of the night, she woke up and was in labor. Um, so the podcast was born in conjunction with my son being born. And 
that's not an accident for me as I see it. Yeah. That's yeah. like, you know, and his, I was already going to call it the Emerald, but his birthstone turned out to be Emerald. <laughs> uh, so it's like, you know, to me, the growth that I'm doing as a father is embedded in the podcast yeah. and the stories that I want him to hear are, in, and both my sons, of course, that I want them to hear are embedded in the podcast and the whole growth process, um, you know, of me as a parent and, and the podcast are, are intertwined. Um, and I, and I wouldn't have it any other way. And, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, um, uh, first a small sort of resonance <laughs> now with three young ones i think my wife and i have probably had a total of maybe eight going out to dinners in that in that limbo time when we think maybe this is the night and i don't know those are gonna be memories i always cherish um here there's this little spot in maine where we went i think three i think three nights we went oh yeah this is this is it um i am just I mean, my uh, my insides just exploded as you said the date and the correlation with your son. So, so when my first son was born, um, was right in the time zone of uh, I launched a company called Everyman, which is a men's work organization that I'm no longer a part of. But it, but at the time, it was like you know my, I don't know my uh, activation of coming to life and doing what I wanted and what I could and what felt the best and. Um, what I wanted to share here was in in that work and the work that I do today, when you talk about the spark, this this seed, you know, of humanity inside of this, you know, dead background. Um, you know, just a quick aside. So I started my career as a, as a wilderness therapy guide working with adolescent boys, specifically boys. And that just imprinted in my world and my space and my view and i and i have focused a lot of my career on uh men and males and masculinity and boys and men and fathers and and it's been a big theme and um you know one of the taglines that i never actually made public for every man back in the day was bringing men to life that was that was what i descriptively observed in our circles, in our men's groups, in our wilderness retreats. It's it's what I felt I watched happen, like actually bringing men to life. And I mean that in a couple of different ways. And then my son arrived and the the actual viscerality and the meaning of of coming to life really changed in a in a you know by many orders of magnitude. And so this morning I'm driving to work, <clears throat> listening to, I flipped on, I think recently, maybe you re-released uh, an episode on animism, if, if yeah. I remember, and that's seeing life in all things. And I just, it's just been screaming in my head all day of how through this lens of men and masculinity that I've been sitting and this seeming ubiquitous i actually heard someone just say ubiquitous i'm not sure how to pronounce it this like this like almost fully generalized lack of spark or life in men and then to have these (laughs) to have the experience of not only being near to life but having 
yeah, it's hard to find the words to to name it, but um, I just feel so grateful for at least being able to point to fatherhood in this participatory way of showing up in that role as one simple marker life right just planting a flag like life is here yeah. uh, i was really moved today and i'll end my rant in just a second but you know the the realities of death that's another thing it, it was actually with our third child i i got to be by my wife's side as she stared death in in impermanence in the face in a way that i have never been so close to that wasn't my own and then yeah just having that so close in the the beating heart of actually finding life in something so so in the animism thing like like it's i've always felt there's life in everything and i feel like becoming a parent was like hey this is actually what it feels like like this you know like here it is you can't ignore this dude yeah i mean i've you know in the course of my life been fortunate enough to attend a lot of really intense rituals. <laughs> I've been fortunate enough to, you know, go through um, spiritual and initiatory ritual processes that take one to the brink. Mm -hmm. Some of them self-selected, some of them not so self-selected, right? Um, I've been fortunate enough to study in paths that have allowed me to feel the rawness and the presence and the intensity of the animate around us. And with all that, all of it paled in comparison with birth. Like, um, yeah, the, the proximity of death, the flow of nature, the, you know, in the tantric traditions, everything is seen as a manifestation of spanda, of vibration, of pulse, of contraction and expansion. And to see like what contraction was like in a different way to see like, you know, what are called contractions, to see the spiritual force that is moving through and when i say spiritual like some people don't resonate with that word energetic vibrational potent powerful animate alive force that was moving through that room and moving through my wife's body to see like something that is so out of the conceptual and so not in our control and as much as modern medicine may want to mitigate it and moderate it and uh, come up with, you know, safer ways to do it, you know, all of which may come from, you know, some type of altruistic place, maybe not as much as modern medicine wants to do that. The fact that we didn't design this, <laughs> this is not something humans made, right? This is the potency of the universe shining forth in all of its power and its magnificence and its pain and its sorrow and its ecstasy and its love and its longing and all of it, you know, and to feel that I think these days, it's an incredibly valuable thing for people to experience intense energies that they did not create. Mm -hmm. 
I think it's an incredibly valuable thing for people to experience the rawness of nature. You know, even now it's like we have all these narratives of the rawness of nature, like, oh, nature is so intense right now because we've messed everything up. And yes, there's a truth to that, but there's also a way in which that can reinforce anthropocentric narratives that make it seem like we're somehow responsible for everything that happens in the world, right? And we're not, this is evolution. This is, you know, the movement of nature itself, the potency of nature itself. And so, you know, there was nothing for me that, you know, just brought the reality of the animacy of creation into my heart and into my somatic structure than birth. It, it was like nothing else. And, you know, I had, um, we had an experience with our second child being born, um, which I'm pretty sure my wife would be totally fine with me sharing, um, where uh, the labor presented itself in a way that was very, very different than the first, mm. to the point that we didn't realize like how far along she was basically. Yeah. Uh, Cause we were expecting it kind of to be like the first and the first was intense and like a freight train. And this one was different and it was, you know, it had a different pace to it and a different rhythm. So we were like, Oh, we've got time, you know? And finally we called the midwife and like, basically like while we called, like as soon as we hung up with the midwife who was like 45 minutes away, my wife was like, this baby's coming now. <laughs> and she delivered the baby herself before the midwife got there um, with me kind of standing there, you know, singing some support songs that I knew how to sing, but not really doing much other than going like, wow. <laughs> um, wow. All right. She caught our second son in her hands and um, the midwife arrived like 15 minutes later. Um, and then there was a situation, a medical situation that presented itself afterwards with her. Mm. Um, and there it was life and the precariousness of life and the possibility of death, even though I felt, you know, I felt right from the beginning that she was going to be fine. But, you know, those edge places, which are places that human beings have sought in ritual, um, you know, there's a... <laughs> There are cultures that say that the reason that men need so much ritual is because they don't have the birth process to go through, right? And that it's important for men to be on those ritual liminal edges, those brink mm -hmm. spaces, right? Um, you know, it's important for people to navigate those threshold spaces and experience those threshold spaces. And the more we take ourselves like into a kind of life of quote unquote comfort, um, the more we in the modern world don't have to experience those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And so we live life as if we're already dead. We live life as if we're numb. Modernity requires a numbness in order to function. I'm talking yeah. about this a lot in the next episode, which is about people who feel a lot. Cool. Uh, Modernity requires numbness in order to function. Yeah. You can't be a factory worker at a shoe factory in Indonesia working 14 hours a day unless some type of numbness is being instilled in you.
Um, so we need to reacquaint ourselves with those experiences that burst through that numbness. Mm -hmm. And it's the role of people who feel artists, intuitives, seers, right, who've been kind of marginalized in our society. It's the role of people who feel to start to break that numbness down. Yeah. And uh, when people start to break that numbness down, the society at large doesn't like it so much. <laughs> right. <No. clears throat> um, and that's a, obviously I'm spinning away from parenthood here, but just to say that like the, um, to in an unmediated fashion experience uh, thresholds to experience life in its rawness, you know, to experience these cycles of birth and death. You know, this is really ultimately what life is all about. And it, it's what it's going to continue to be all about. And no amount of technological intervention is going to ultimately change that fact, mm -hmm. I believe. And so the invitation is again, like, do we seek to numb or retract or move away from or uh, say, yeah, I'm fine with everything, you know, when really, you know, we haven't stepped into the, into the swirl yet, the yeah. swirl of, of life, the swirl of color, the swirl of, of raw experience. And, um, and birth for me reacquainted me with that. And it introduced me to the animate world in a way that I hadn't, uh, known possible, even though I studied and practiced a lot of animate tradition at that point. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Beautiful. All right. So I'm going to give you a choose your own adventure. I got two questions. <laughs> you can pick them. You can pick which direction you want to go. I'm curious. This, this might be a shorter answer. Maybe not. <clears throat> I'm curious if you have any, I don't know, existential struggle or uh, conflict about having children bringing children here now at this moment in history is it does that curious about that the other choose your own adventure is um yeah fatherhood as initiation and um you know this is this is a big part of what i've just been sitting with and experimenting with and asking and talking and just looking at um you know, like you, you named these threshold experiences in, in our modern landscape right now, there's, uh, you know, relatively few opportunities for that. You can still find them. But I'm curious about your take on fatherhood as an initiatory process, um, generally an unheld one, right, or an unsupported one. Um Man, maybe choose your adventures are dumb, but I'm curious, yeah. uh, I'm curious about this moment in time. And then I'm also curious about that initiation. I can speak yeah. to both of those things. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt here for just a minute. If you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I wonder if there's an audio course that I could take and to go on a long drive and listen to a bunch of challenging questions and meditations and stories and begin a journey of deepening my own experience as a dad. Well, guess what? <laughs> guess what? <laughs> there is. It's called Intentional Fathering. It's an audio course uh, that is delivered to you as a private podcast. It's really straightforward, really simple. Um, 
I put a lot of care and time and thought into it, and it's uh, it's an easy way to sort of take a bigger dose of medicine that we're uh, that we're pouring here. So check it out, dandody.com slash intentional fathering. The first is like, you know, this may ruffle some <laughs> listener feathers, but no, I don't have any qualms about bringing kids into this world whatsoever. Yeah, because again, to me, the narrative that somehow like, okay, you know, here's the problem and we're going to, it, it's an anthropocentric narrative to say that like, we're so in control of what's happening that like yep. our decision to not have kids is going to like somehow save or change or alter anything. Um, like the forces of nature work in billion year increments. The earth changes that we're going through now are horrifying and they're terrible and they're sad. And I fear for humanity and I fear for my children, of course. And, you know, this is also how nature moves. And this too is part of the overall unfolding pattern of nature that we have as little human beings have no idea where it's going. You know, all of our like deeply profoundly held beliefs about climate change and all this kind of thing. It's like, we don't know what's going to happen. And not only do we not know what's going to happen, we are not going to see what's going to happen, right? Like, I mean, you know, we're going to have to let go of that narrative too when we die. Like, oh, right. I don't actually get to see how it all turns out. Imagine that, right? So to have children is to embrace the mystery and say, I have no idea what's going to happen, right? Um, and yet the flow of life continues. And yet the flow of nature continues. And yet the the flow of community and family and genealogy and ancestry, it continues. Right. And, you know, so to say that I have no like reservations about it, that doesn't mean that I don't have fears for my child's, my children's futures. Right. It doesn't mean that I don't think like, wow, they're going to have to deal with some stuff that I didn't have to deal with probably. And, and, and it doesn't mean that I don't feel deeply for that, but I don't see in what way saying like, I'm not going to have children. Again, to me, that implies like somehow an anthropocentric control of yeah. a narrative that is ultimately not being controlled by humans. <laughs> ultimately, you know, like, I hate to, you know, like, we're not in control of the narrative that's happening right now. We are like, and what causes us to make decisions and do things and act the way we act and what the ramifications of that are and how the earth reabsorbs those ramifications and spits back life over the course of millions of years in ways more glorious than imagined before. Like this, this is, this is nature in her vastness. And I grieve for what's happening in the world right now, but I also don't like the language of it is sometimes posed in terms of final ends and this type of thing. And nature doesn't work in final ends. And there have been multiple extinctions that have happened on this planet over millions and millions of years. And we're in a certain phase right now. And that's going to repurpose itself and re-express in ways that we don't even know. And how does that feel when you when you sit down to dinner or whatever with your little... Th this is where I get caught, Josh. It's, yeah. it's, it's like that. And oh, I want you to... I just want... There's this preservation function in me, this yeah. protection, you know, that's that what a wild balance that is. for Well, me. and that is to hold those two things yeah. 
is a portal into those exact spaces that I was talking about before. And this is what, you know, parenthood demands of us that maybe like, and I think ritual initiatory experiences traditionally demanded this of us, but I think spirituality has gotten very removed from that. Parenthood demands of us like to hold fear and tenderness and love and longing and serenity and acceptance and all of it. It demands of us to hold all of it and that holding of all of it, like, my God, we're in a world of a universe of two trillion galaxies that's going to swallow us all whole and these bodies are going to be spit out as bones in no time at all, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I look into your eyes, my children, I see all of that vastness in you and I want to hold you so close and so precious and so dear. Like these things at once, like to hold the intimacy and the vastness at once, to hold the fear and the bliss at once, like this is to take ourselves to threshold spaces of feeling and longing and experience that our ancestors, you know, our ancestors had to feel this all the time. Our ancestors had to feel this all the time and carve out like little lives in the midst of the vastness all the time. And we're invited through parenthood, I think, to experience the rawness of life, the intimacy of life, the tenderness of life, the vastness, uh, the yawning maw of death, like all of it, all of it. And, you know, you can run from that. And there are days when it probably makes you want to run. Right. Or you can say, I will be present here for all of it. I will be present here for all of it. I will be present here for all of it. What's the hardest, you know, and, what, what's a repetitive hardest moment to stay present for you? I mean, you know, it's funny, like, uh, like, of course I'm coming on this podcast about fatherhood and, uh, this morning my older son was doing you know, one of his more <laughs> frustrating behaviors. And so I kind of raised my voice at him in a way that isn't exactly how I like to talk to him, but, you know, sometimes feels a little bit necessary, but, yeah. you know, and then I'm like, great, I'm going on this like podcast about fatherhood <laughs> and like wasn't exactly behaving like the father I want to be, you know, this morning. And, um, and that's, you know, that's part of it too, to, to like recognize like, um, just like how much I'm in process around this and how much I have to learn and how much like, you know, (laughs) it's like, I don't, I don't consider myself an example of, of anything yet when it comes to fatherhood. You know, I have some people in my life that I can look to after years and years and years and years and their kids are a lot older. I could say, uh, I think that that person's a really good example for me. And for me, I'm just like getting my feet wet, you know? So like, I mean, you know, you know, the moments when everything is in a state of complete and total chaos. And, um, you know, again, I started a little bit later on in years. So it's like my body probably feels things a little bit more acutely when I'm chasing them around, like all the time. And, uh, and just those moments where like, you know, could we have one surface of the house that's not like painted on or has like food and toys and uh, like curious combination of food and toys and ripped up artwork and like, you know, socks and laundry stuck to food (laughs) and all that. Just like, you know, 
could there be one tiny little oasis space? And, you know, and my, my wife feels it even more because she has to right now spend even more time with them than I do. Um, so big love and appreciation for her and all that she is doing and all that she continues to do. Um, so yeah, there are moments when it's like, you know, um, okay, just get me out of here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, and, totally. and then what's i mean amazing like okay so i just went to australia for nine days and it was a really quick trip and long flight and everything like that and before i left i was like sad to be leaving the family and then i was like oh but you know i'm gonna get a little time and like time to you know kind of recalibrate and sleep a little bit and all this kind of stuff and then within an hour of being away from my kids, I was like, where are they? Yeah. Right. Isn't that wild? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, sure. like I, I, I didn't sleep well at all. I was like missing them like so deeply. Their faces were with me like the whole time. I was like, what are they doing right now? What are they thinking about? Or <laughs> like, what are they, what toys are they playing with? And you know, what stories are they reading and that kind of thing. So it's like, I'm, like I said, with that experience with my son, it's like, I'm in it. Like I'm, yeah. I'm in it. It's like, you know, whatever dreams I might've had at some point in my life of like the solo wanderer who is kind of okay with everything. And like, that's, yeah. that's gone completely. It's like my happiness and joy and fear. And it's completely intertwined with theirs, you know? And I know yeah. that and I'm in the, yeah. the like early phase. So I know that at a certain point, like when they reach adolescence, like there's going to be some kind of, uh, you know, maybe healthy boundary <laughs> that needs to be placed there. Yeah. But it's also like, you know, I spend a lot of time in cultures like India and Brazil and family is a very different thing there. Like family, those bonds don't end at age 18 in like mm. Brazil, the way they seem to in the modern United States. And, and like, that's interesting for me to see also. It's like yeah. parents, I know parents in both Brazil and India that are like thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly involved with their kids' lives. Like, yeah. you know, into their twenties, into their thirties. Um, and not everybody in those cultures leaves home at 18 immediately either. And, uh, I think we have such a thing about like codependence and independence and this type of thing. Yeah. You know, I had a friend in Australia was, he was talking about certain Aboriginal child rearing practices and he was like, you know, through the lens of modern Western psychology, this would be a totally codependent, sure. uh, system right and uh and it's like i think those assumptions need to be challenged sometimes too i know from what i feel that that my heart is in it and yeah. i feel what they feel so deeply and i don't see that changing honestly. yeah that and there was a second part of your question which i haven't answered yet well, the, the, yeah let me let me sort of maybe connect connect it to because there's something else i want to ask you as we get to that initiation conversation um you know one of the things that that has sort of prompted my focus on this is that you know if you're looking back in this last couple of generations and i'm talking about you know american sort of white society here just to be you know clear but there is there is something that seems to be occurring in our uh in our culture here where this generation my or our generation of fathers, like it's, it's a, it's a big change. It's a fast sort of uptake in, um, 
I mean, you could call it expectation or just connection or just the the way the way of fathering today is uh, quite noticeably different from my father's generation and then the generation behind. So just looking at this, you know, short window of history. And, uh, you know, part of what I'm doing is is attempting to get perspective and potential support for, uh, for dads to kind of on-ramp the skills, let's just call them skills, to be able to be more connected, to be more relational, to be more present. Some, you know, many of the things that seem to be asked, that are asked of dads today, uh, which I think is just a wild and pretty wonderful moment to be in as a father. Um, and so, uh, you know, again, the, that, that the second question or second choose your own adventure was, you know, starting to look at fatherhood as a, as either initiation in itself or, uh, you know, I don't know. And, and so to put those two thoughts together, it seems to be the case that there's a lot of dads right now that are in, a, in in an acceleration or sort of a ramping of some level of initiation or something like it that is uh, possibly sort of reconnecting them or us with with more of this life directly. Um, and I think I'm taking a lot of liberties putting those things together so quickly, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, the traditional role of adolescent initiation was to um, obliterate the individual and regrow the individual into the communal and ecological. And ideally, in many traditional cultures, you had that done before then you reached parenthood. Right. Um, modernity celebrates the individual to the point that individual pursuits are really thought to be the highest of human endeavors all the way through one's life. So you have, you know, people in their whatever um, 50s or 60s, like still trying to prove something individually or saying like, oh, I didn't get what I wanted out of this phase of my life, right? Like the classic midlife crisis. Like, I didn't get what I, want, I wanted out of this phase of my life. So it's, you know, my priority is that I have to, I have to go and do this. And um, cultures that are kind of inextricably communal have different dynamics because those dynamics are really like ground out of the person at a very mm. early age. And this is a deep reconciliation. I think our culture is in the, pro when I say our culture, I mean, the modern West, you could call it. Yeah. Um, I think our culture for many reasons is going to be confronted with uh, the reality that that kind of every individual for themselves is not going to cut it um, on an individual scale. It's not actually what makes the individual the most satisfied and complete and happiest um, on a communal scale, on an ecological scale, on a global scale the culture of like, I'm just going to live for myself and I'm going to get what I want. Um, you know, traditionally those are what you could call like adolescent drives. And in that period of adolescence, the adolescent goes through an initiation that takes them, um, if not to the brink of death, at least like fearing for their lives. Yeah. Um, in addition to reinforcing their communal bonds and, um, giving them a felt sense of, the awe of creation at the same time. 
right? In a way that is meant to, you know, repattern some of those individualist adolescent tendencies towards um, community and ecology and uh, eventually starting people along the road of being wise, right? Mm -hmm. Modern culture is many things, but it's not very wise. It has a really hard time seeing more than next quarter in advance, right? Really hard time thinking about anything related to long-term, slow, sustainable growth. Really hard time thinking about anything beyond the needs of the individual. Um, really hard time embodying anything related to ethics because ethics requires actually feeling these things in bodies, feeling like, how do you embody ethics when it's like, okay, in a like uber capitalist system where we're like, okay, you're going to take a course on ethics, like whatever, you know, whatever field you happen to be in, you're going to take a course on ethics and that's the whole ethics part of this thing. Right. Yeah. And then you're expected yeah. to come. And then the entire overarching system is pointing you towards get what you can while you can and do whatever you want. And like, you know, you have to start to, uh, gnaw away at those suppositions on a deep root level in order for us to be able to embody ethics. So I think that we're coming into a time when just because of some of the planetary things we're going to be facing, the culture of the individual is going to have to give way a little bit. Yeah. You can even see this with like, you know, the younger generations are poorer now. They have less opportunity. They have less opportunity to buy houses. They have less opportunity like, you know, that that job that they're working at is actually going to pay the rent. And so people are going to be forced into communal living situations and like in which yeah. the kind of dreams of the individual aren't necessarily put on a pedestal as like the, the only thing that matters. So within that, like, um, you know, there, there's a lot of different levels to it for me you know, fatherhood has certainly felt like another level of initiation. Um, it's like, you know, and, and I was speaking about it kind of gently earlier, like, you know, as a young spiritual wanderer thinking that I had my act together and thinking that I knew what was going on. And it's like, you know, um, <laughs> the levels of responsibility and accountability and showing up that come with parenthood at least in parenthood that like involves people who are trying to show up and do it well right are are so much different they stand in such juxtaposition to that culture of the individual who's like supposed to like go out there and get whatever they want and do whatever they want um that i think it freaks a lot of people out it makes some people run and hide it makes some people like dive into it for a second and then be like, Whoa, I can't do this. And you know, yeah. you see that happen a lot too. Um, but that's where I think a deep inquiry, and I think this is kind of what you're asking and what you're getting at a deep inquiry into like what the human journey actually is, yeah. you know, and if we're talking about men, um, you know, it's interesting cause I, I tend to approach things mythically and somatically, and I don't always use gendered language a lot, but I also think that um, it's important to have conversations that are specifically geared uh, towards men in this world <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. if you look at what's going on in the world, you see that, um, you know, there's a lot of dynamics, but the, 
the little boys that have their fingers on the trigger um, that are taking humanity to the brink of, you know, really precarious situations or yeah. 99.9% men. Um, and I honestly, it's hard for me to even call them men because what I see is that the culture of the adolescent has been enshrined so much that what we end up with, as I said in that episode that you're referencing, what we end up with is a world that's run by boys, run by adolescent boys who haven't realized that they're accountable, haven't realized that they're responsible, haven't had it somatically embedded in them that there um, is a web to which they are responsible um, and a web of which they are a part haven't had it somatically, you know, integrated into their bodies that um, time and slowness and wisdom and taking a breath and not rushing out and just trying to go after that next thing like that, you know, these aren't energetics that um, make societies last. I was just down in Australia, like I was saying, and there was a storytelling circle and there was somebody telling a traditional Aboriginal story about uh, a couple and was a warrior. And, and, um, and she said of the, the warrior, you know, everybody loved this warrior. And she kind of listed his qualities and like the second quality, you know, he was a, he was a really good hunter, you know, and then, and then, it, and then it said, and he was really patient. Mm, right. Yeah. And just to to feel that, like, when does our society value patience? <laughs> yeah, when does our society say yeah. that patience is actually a good thing? Yeah. You know, so I look at like fathers who are in the position of having to be patient. And I look at like what, you know, like existential crises that people in their 20s and 30s and stuff are going through sometimes. And it's like, it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. like. You know, eventually, you know, we don't have to learn patience. We can keep just scrambling around and like, mm-hmm. you know, getting frustrated with the universe, not bending to our will all the time and this kind of thing. Um, you know, but if we want, if we want to culturally last or we want to, um, you know, for me, it's like, I I want my kids to feel me as a patient presence in their lives. Mm. That's that I want. Yeah. I uh I want to just call out for I'll put this in the show yeah. notes, but for the listeners, um, if there's one follow-up to please do, and my intention would be to to listen to the episode we're referencing. Um what what's the the formal title? It's so you want to be a sorcerer. Is that so you so you want to be a sorcerer in the age of mythic powers? Yeah. 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 I I I, I truly AI. yeah, it's about AI and the boys who are uh well doing their part to create and and promote it but i mean i've sent that episode to literally everyone maybe that i know in my in my world and in my circle and i i just the the like you just hit the note man you just really hit the note and it it does so you know i find myself i'm half in the world of of consulting in tech and and part of the ai is part of my world and and here i am having focused on men and fatherhood and and this ontogeny of of life and just this whole thing that's like 
your episode was just like, you know, <laughs> right in the center. And it was just, it's so wonderful. Um, and I want to, you know, the a couple of years ago when I shifted towards more fatherhood focused um, programming, the, the first thing I did was a course called the embodied dad. And it was really, it was just that it was like, how can we, how can we bring presence and embodiment into, into this role? And, uh, you know, when you said the word patience, that sort of, I don't know, you kind of like added the, the word that was there, but not populated, I guess is, is, uh, pretty lovely to hear. You know, I know that if I've learned patience anywhere, it was somewhat on the mat, probably sitting, but even more so for me was these you know, many, many hundreds or thousands of days out in the wilderness where I wasn't on my agenda and, you know, the amount of hours of squatting under a fucking bush in the Utah desert when there's nothing to do other than be there um, or sit in the rain with bugs and shit and just like just turning toward the being with misery. You know, I like I don't know. Um, I don't know how to probably teach or learn those things any more effectively. Mm. Well, you know, that reminds me of, um, in the immersions that I teach, we spend some time working with fire, uh, with mm -hmm. the hand drill, which you're probably yeah. very yeah. familiar with. And, um, and there's a reason I do it in conjunction with the mythic teaching that I offer, because it's a way to start to really feel the, dynamics um, that I speak about, the ritual dynamics and somatic dynamics. It's a way to start to feel them in the body. And, you know, so like, for example, the repetitive aspect of ritual and the repetition that's required to, to, um, to get a coal and the patience that's required and the tempering of the fire within that's required and, and all of these kinds of things. Um, and there's, you know, in the Hawaiian traditions, they speak about it very literally. The, the two parts of the hand drill are the mother and the father, and mm -hmm. the coal is the baby. Mm -hmm. And, like, there's a tendency when, um, you've probably seen this, I don't know if you've, if you've taught fire, but there, there's yeah, a yeah. tendency when people get the coal, right, uh, there, there's a... There's a tendency, first of all, like every phase of the process is really important. So the coal then has to live in a nest of tinder, right? And then that tinder has to go into a house that's been like carefully prepared, right? And if any parts of that process are rushed, if you get too excited about the fact that you've gotten a coal, um, you know, and it's like, ah, then the coal can like slip off and like go out and stuff like that. Or if the, the tinder that you have, um, and this is an interesting dynamic to see, um, you know, the, the Tinder bundle that you have, it, it either, it has to be this beautiful balance between containment and openness, yeah. right? There has to be this nice balance between containment and openness, because if you, um, you know, squash it, like if you fold it too tightly, then the coal doesn't have room to breathe and it, it gets smothered. And if you leave it too open, right, then there's not enough containment. So there's not a good structural support system around that coal with things that it can like, you know, catch on to. Um, and to me, I relate this like directly to parenthood, right? Totally. Directly to parenthood. Totally. Like 
the the container that one has to offer which there you know it's not just a question of like openness like you know my parents um very loving people but they will be the first to say that they took the kind of hippie openness approach with me and were basically like yeah do whatever you want and and i had to go through years of suffering because of that mm -hmm. i had to go through years of suffering because of that lack of containment mm -hmm. right um you know people are so conscious of not smothering children sometimes right that uh that the overcompensation leads to an openness that um isn't necessarily what gets a good fire burning either right yeah. what i see when um working with fire with people is that a lot of people are really kind of afraid to put a good kind of container around that coal that people tend to like hold it really really open and that's a recipe for the coal kind of going out right that 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 openness so like the pay the slow steady patient frictive work of parenthood right it requires presence and attention it requires action and energy uh but it requires a whole lot of space holding and patience also yeah. um and this you know in our world like you know okay so for years and years you can study a spiritual path and have your teacher tell you like everything is in the balance between doing and allowing right mm -hmm. everything is in the balance between doing and allowing when do you guide uh, when do you try and instigate action and when do you just allow it to be and this can be like this kind of beautiful abstract <laughs> spiritual yeah. theory they're like oh yes everything you know and the 12th yoga sutra speaks about it and it's like it, it's beautiful right and and people like who are taking yoga teacher trainings are like yes everything's in the balance between <laughs> and allowing. then you become a parent and it's like oh <laughs> everything when i say yes when i say no when i choose to allow space for them to find out on their own what the consequences are going to be or when i set limits and boundaries it's everything it's everything and you get to practice it every single day as a parent and it's like it brings a whole other level to that exploration of doing and allowing of guiding and letting them find out you know uh, go ahead. Well, my brain just exploded. So <clears throat> I got to say this. So when I taught fire and was in that really first chunk of my career and it was part of the programming, excuse me, I have a <clears throat> fur in my throat. Um, so it was with adolescent boys. That's who I taught fire to only, right? Yeah. That, and that's who we practiced fire with. And that's who we tended fire with. And it just like crashed into my head. I couldn't agree more about the, the, the necessity of the, of the structure and the space in, and you know, my, my young ones are seven, four and one. And I was just thinking about in that context. And then it just populated in my head, the memories of these boy, these, these teen boys who were by nature of being where I was uh, deemed out of control right or deemed uh on i don't know if they didn't fit in their families they, they were they were off the rails supposedly yes. and what i i don't know i've just I, I don't know how to articulate this well but in the context of this society level civilization level moment we are with with boys in 
with their fingers on the triggers and and the again referencing this episode of AI and the sorcerers and all this. I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but recognizing I have felt sort of I don't know what it is to do to mobilize to uh, to to make an attempt at at uh, helping. I don't know if it's these individuals or just the collective create the create the initiatory process, create the patients, create some sort of container. And maybe we're way past it. I don't I don't know. But anyway, as you were sharing it, just I recognized it for the first time in a long maybe ever that uh, I know adolescent boys like I know them intimately. And I'm curious if you do. And I'm curious what what you know of that adolescence in practice really all i know is that my adolescence probably lasted 20 years longer than it should because i didn't go you know i had a lot of spiritual study um but i hadn't embodied it through initiation in a way that it stuck Mm -hmm. and like did what it was supposed to do and it took much later and the longer the longer initiation is prolonged and the less conscious it is, the more brutal it tends to be, right? Yeah. In other words, like, you know, there is a phase for many adolescent kids and particularly boys, which is, what can I get away with? What can I get away with? Yeah. I'm testing the boundaries. I'm testing the boundaries. And like I say in the episode, I think ultimately really what that is asking for is guidance and initiation. It's asking for a firm, loving, steady hand to say, no, not this, not yet. Yes, this, like, let's check this out and see how you open into that. But maybe with this, we're going to hold back on that for a while, right? Like, and in the absence of that, kids just see what they can get away with, see what they can get away with. Look, I'm trying to prove something. We societally, I think, you know, hey, look what we can do. I say this in the episode, right? Look what we can do. Like, you know, (laughs) like create gene altering technologies and we can create AI things that are going to do this and we can do that. And to me, all of this is a cry for some type of guidance. And there are mythic stories upon mythic stories about civilizations that forgot, you know, um, you know, that basically said, look what I can do (laughs) right into oblivion. Right. Um, So I, I think that like the um the human tendency and particularly like the adolescent tendency to um be testing boundaries as a way of you know it's i mean i can even see it in my sons already it's how they they test the boundaries and when the boundaries come back and say you know like i can say don't put your hand on the stove well i'm gonna test it and then oh okay right you know um you know and and so it's it's natural but it's also been recognized in tradition upon tradition that there needs to be some type of initiatory process and tutorial process and uh guidance along the way so that those energies are tempered right and in me because i didn't go through that um you know I really had to undergo an initiation by fire many years later that was like self, it was brought upon myself 
um, and it took me almost to the brink of death. Um, and that really is when I feel that I reached adulthood and it honestly wasn't until I was 40 years old, yeah. you know, um, I think like in my thirties I worked, you know, I, I was like always in my life, there've been these, um, areas of exploration, spiritual on one side, music performance on the other. I've worked in the music business for quite a time and everything like that. But, you know, if you're working in the music business in your thirties in New York, like the predominant energy is like, yeah, get ahead. And like, what's next? And then, um, seeking in an unbalanced way and, you know, living for myself and seeing what I could get away with and all this kind of stuff. And that in retrospect, I can see were untempered adolescent drives, yeah. you know, that really, if I had had an initiatory structure, hopefully would have been <laughs> tempered yeah. in a different way when I was younger. And I, you know, I don't have like have huge regrets about it cause it's led me to where I am now. Um, but there also are lessons that I wish that I didn't have to learn the way I had to learn them. And to me, you can say the same thing about humanity these days. It's like, okay, we have before us the opportunity, like you're saying, to um, instill and instigate some, um, I think, societal initiatory measures that could hopefully keep us from having to learn in a trial by fire yep. what happens when we mess with things in an uninitiated context, yeah. right? Hopefully we can learn that way. Now, I don't know, I don't think that societies tend, like, you know, I think that it's going to have to happen locally. I think it's going to have yeah. to happen in small pockets yeah. or it's going to happen as a result of, you know, one big screw up. And it's like, oh, well, we've got to readdress all this. Right. Yeah. Um, but within that locally, it's like, you know, it's ultimately it's a deep reevaluation of like, you know, I've posed this question on the podcast several times. It's Wendell Berry's classic question. What are people for? Yeah. What are we here for? Like, what are we here? Are we here to rush until we die? Are we here to accumulate as much yeah. stuff until we die? Are we here to like test the boundaries of creation, like by screwing with everything until we die? Is that what we're here to do? Where is patience? Where is wisdom? Where is longevity? Where is the thousand year plan? Where is, you know, if a culture can't think beyond four years, yeah. like it's, it's, it's resigned itself to being a very short lived culture. Right. I mean, there, there's nothing about the way we're operating now that indicates to me that things are going to last <laughs> for, for the United States of America for honestly, like a whole lot longer uh, in the way that we've known it. Right. So like, I'd like to see things instilled on a societal national level, but ultimately these things have to be felt. And if yeah. they're going to be felt, then they need to be felt through the presence of actual kind and wise, loving elders within communities that can um, help young people embody these things from a very young age. Cause it also requires, I think like starting to address some of this stuff when when kids are learning and kids are young. So I think 100%. that kind of work like with adolescent boys, I mean, I think it's incredibly valuable. Yeah. And uh, I mean, and these are the conversations I'm in currently with a lot of the tech folks and there is a real want to understand this. Like, you know, 
Yeah. Everything has to be ultimately has to be housed within an embodied structure that knows how to, um, you know, navigate from an embodied perspective as opposed to just like, hey, I wonder what would happen if we would do this, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's something I could say that I plan in instilling in my young ones as much as I can. And they will grow up around practice tradition and they will grow up around initiatory tradition and, um, you know, I'll devise some kind of crazy rites of passage for them too. Like, <laughs> when you, you know, do, and if, you, if you, if you're ever open to sharing, please, please let me know. <laughs> they'll, they'll spend a lot of time in the wilderness. Yeah. They'll spend even like, you know, it was so interesting. Two days ago, I, I just got back from Australia and I had my fire kit with me mm -hmm. and, you know, they were running around the house doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And like, you know, I mean, here's a question. I'm going to go on a little aside here and come back to what I was going to say. Here's a question. Like when I grew up, my parents were poor and we didn't have a lot of toys at all. Like mm -hmm. my parents were struggling. Um, I'm in, you know, just a, a slightly different position now. So I can like afford to get them more of what they asked for, but like now we're in this situation where there's like so many toys and stuffed animals and everything. And I'm like, am I doing them any good by doing that? Like, is it like, is it really like, you know? And then, so I took out the fire kit, they were running around kind of unfocused. And I took out the fire kit and Azure had seen me, the older one had seen me use it when, uh, both of them had seen me use it when we were in a, um, Asheville recently. And, uh, and I said, Hey, Hey, let's, you know, let's, let's see if we can get some friction going and everything like that. And immediately their attention was yeah. completely wrapped. And for, you know, what for them was a long period of time for minutes and minutes and minutes and minutes, we were like working, you know, together, just simply, we weren't even trying to make a fire, just simply working with like the basic motion of the hand drill and everything like that. So, you know, I can say that, Obviously, my kids are going to be exposed to and interact with a lot of technology, but I'm going to do everything I can to balance it out with yeah. long, slow, patient, repetitive technologies that instill something different somatically in them, too. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I had a couple of questions lined up to ask to sort of wind the episode down, and you, you just, you just uh, intuited them. <laughs> <laughs> you should be nailed them. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I want to, I want to hear just a minute. Any, any last thoughts for, for dads out there? If there's just like any, any succinct little message for, for, if you had the, the ears of fathers, um, I think plenty has been said. And then I, I want to know more about your immersives, your intensives, what you have going on in the world. I'm, I'm literally curious myself. I think I would uh, absolutely love to, to check it out. So, uh, yeah. Anything to sign off with? Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> like words to dads. I mean, really like I could use your help. <laughs> I could use any, I could use any pointers I can get. I'm not, uh, remotely an authority on what it is to be a father. Um, so I'm always looking at friends of mine and how they parent and what they're mm -hmm. doing and seeking to gain wisdom from, from them. It helps that I have friends who have older kids too, cause they've been through what I've been through. 
uh, or what I'm going through now. And, um, you know, we had two boys in a short period of time. So what we're going through right now is pretty concentrated chaos. Uh, and, uh, you know, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how much I, I have to offer from, from the place of like, um, here dads, here's what to do about parenting much more. Like if I were to say anything, I'd be saying it to myself as a reminder. Um, and it's probably not rare to have your guests say something like this, but presence showing up, presence showing up, presence showing up, presence, you know, um, like all of the spiritual traditions that use meditative techniques as a way to bring us into the rapturous focus of the moment children do that in a way like unlike any other yeah. and they will they will know immediately if you're my kids know immediately if i'm spacing out my kids know immediately if my attention is elsewhere i mean my older son will scratch me if i'm spacing out <laughs> like you know <laughs> like like but and and there are times that that could be a little aggravating right but the continued invitation to presence is what all of the great traditions of the world are supposedly about. And so in this way, I see parenting as like really, you know, right there at the, the heart of, of practice. Amen. Um, another reminder for presence, another reminder for presence um, again and again and again and again and again, um, you know, and there's this whole like, balancing thing like we were talking about earlier if there are areas where i feel maybe the structure is too open too porous then i'll try to work to kind of bring some containment around it yeah. and if there are areas where i feel like i'm being maybe a little bit too contained then i'll try to give it some breathing space and that can apply to so many things like you know it's everywhere in the journey of making fire it's everywhere in the journey of parenting um, it's everywhere in the journey of breath it's everywhere in the journey of, of life. So seeking as best I can and failing miserably and falling down and rising up again and becoming exhausted and then hearing words of wonder emanating from these little mouths. And um, it's, it's sacred. It's sacred. I have no other word to describe it than it is sacred. Thank you. And um, yeah, so I, I have a podcast called The Emerald and there's a Patreon community for people who want to get into some study groups and deeper discussions around the topics that are on the podcast. It's patreon.com slash The Emerald podcast. And it's really, you know, costs like six bucks a month and you get two study groups a month generally. And recordings of all the previous study groups and special guest conversations sometimes and and this kind of thing so if you like the topics we talk about in the podcast it's a really good way to to become involved and then i also teach a year-long immersive course called the mythic body um, which is about it's a deep dive exploration into the mythic and its relevance to uh, bodies and understanding foundations of myth story and ritual that have been 
present in culture upon culture and reacquainting ourselves with these foundations, basically. Um, and that, if people are interested, they can email themythicbody at gmail.com. And that's a good way to get info. Um, yeah. So beautiful. That's, that's what I'm up to. And I, I purposefully choose the format of a year long course so that really we can go in deep together. There's a yeah. lot of shallow learning available in all kinds of different places in this day and age. And, um, and I'm interested in offering something that is not the model of shallow learning, but that allows for depth of exploration that'll hopefully um, continue to unfold over the rest of a person's life. Beautiful. Well, thank you for helping uh, deepen and, I don't know, clarify. I mean, I'm so aligned with uh, what you've shared today. Really grateful for your time. And um, yeah, I, uh, I've i been finding this podcast to be a, yeah, like a, a bit of a winding adventure as I, I see it very clear that I'm learning. There are things I'm attempting to enact in life and in the world and, and uh, this podcast is very much about uh, testing and learning and exploring and, and uh, all that. So, man, I'm so grateful for this and um, yeah, just thank you. And thank uh, you for having me on. It's a joy to discuss what we're discussing. And yeah, yeah, it's one of the most important topics that exists. So yeah. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Josh for being here. Um, share this as you can or as feels appropriate with people around you. If you could give us a review um, on any of the podcast platforms, that's helpful and it helps uh, you know make us relevant to the world of zeros and ones. And good luck out there. Good luck being a dad. Good luck being a all the things, whoever you are, whatever you are, be well.